you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at laist.com sweeps. Start your Saturday with something that will grow your kiddos' brains and get their creative juices flowing. Join us at LAS in Pasadena for a morning of multilingual readings, interactive performances, and lots of kid fun. It's Super Fun Saturday on June 1st. Get your tickets at LAS.com slash events. It's Thursday. Your train's pulling into Union Station in downtown L.A., You spent most of the ride switching between email and Twitter, trying not to stress about the meeting you have with your boss this morning. You notice a stain on your sleeve. You think, today's not going to be a good day. You get off the train, push your way through the crowd of people, reach into your pocket to feel around for some cash. You need a coffee. We thought for episode nine that we could get you to wave a magic wand. And change society now so that we won't have what we've just described? Yeah. That's pretty cool, actually. That, to me, is the main point. The earthquake is inevitable, but the disaster is not. And most of the damage could be prevented if we chose to do that before the event. Out in the middle of the desert, there are two enormous tectonic plates grinding against one another, pressure building. Today, some of that energy will release. And we know a minute before the waves get to us that they're coming because we have earthquake early warning. Your shake alert goes off and says, strong shaking to arrive in in 60 seconds. You think, okay, where do I get to a place of safety? You're in the tunnel at Union Station. You go and you sit down on... Uh, up against the wall away from... There, I mean, that the tunnel's actually not a bad place to be. There's nothing to fall on you from there. And we now get the magic wand that it's a nice, strong tunnel. Um, I just sit down and, and ride it out. Your wife texts you. I love you. Got the alert. Meet me at Omar's school. In 25 seconds, it's going to be very strong shaking that's getting to you because we'll see that the rupture's getting in there. Everyone's phones are going off. People running for cover. A woman is braced against the wall next to you. You're terrified. She grabs your hand. I guess it's finally happening, she says. You nod. Don't worry, she says. We're going to be okay. So things will still fly through the air. I mean, there's stores in Union Station and their their goods are going to go flying off the shelves. Those will not be permanently hooked down. They're trying to sell them. After nearly a minute, the shaking stops. She stands up and reaches out to help you. You walk out of the tunnel together. So right there in front of Union Station will be one of the few places where we will see more damage because of historic structures that can only be retrofitted to life safety. But we won't see people badly injured by this. A car crashed into a light pole. Maybe we won't have have traffic lights and we'll have some confusion. A souvenir guy's cart is overturned. A woman walks over to help. 
I expect to see quite a bit of fear and confusion because that's human beings. And it's only, we really can't retrofit people. But the sewage pipes held. The water mains too. Trains stopped as soon as the alert hit. Elevator doors opened at the closest floor. Kids got under their desks and held on. No steel buildings, soft story apartments, or concrete buildings collapsed. Everyone's phone still works. The mayor from under his desk calls the governor. Emergency responders check social media to see where help is most needed. Teams from FEMA and the National Guard are deployed. Madam President issues a disaster declaration and heads to Air Force One. We don't know when the big one is going to hit. But in a perfect world, L.A. would be ready. So would you. Too bad we don't live in a perfect world. I'm Jacob Margolis. This is the end of the big one. Congratulations. You survived. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. (laughs) I think they're so smart. What the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events. Andrea Van Leesten makes eye contact with me as soon as we meet. Hi. Hi. Well, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Nice I'm to meet Andrea. you. Good to see you. Yeah. You want a cup of tea or something? Uh, I'll take a little bit of water. Yeah, hot water actually sounds nice. If hot water easily, or just regular water? Yeah, regular water. Whatever's easiest. Anything will take this. She's present in a way that makes you feel like you're going to be taken care of. She walks me into her earth-toned conference room in Culver City. Every painting on her wall, she chose— Methodically. Well, let me tell you this. How many lawyers' offices do you go to? Not a whole lot. How about probably none? Most people don't go see a lawyer. And so when you come and see a lawyer, they need to be comfortable. um, It needs to be pretty. I want to tell her things. But before I can, she shares a story about her mom. She called me one day at the office and she said, I'm ready. And I said, you're ready? She says, yes. I'm ready for you to come with me to pick my casket. Two o'clock. She hangs up the phone and heads to the mortuary. And as we went through, my mother had her sheet out and she goes, look at all of these coffins. I want you to select one for me. And don't think this isn't difficult. Inside, it was very difficult. But my mother knew and she had already accepted it. I'm going to die. I'm going to die in 10 or 15 years. So I want this done. 
She says, I kind of like the white one. What about you? What do you think? And I said, I like that white one with the gold on the side. That's that's perfect. So she says, okay, good. Get a good look at it. She said, because when they roll this coffin out, I want you to make certain that I got what I paid for. <laughs> and I said, I will. And we picked out a couple of other things. And then I came back to work and I had some more clients to see that day. Andrea Van Leeson helps people prepare for death. She's a family estates and trusts attorney. For more than 25 years, she's been helping people write their wills. Yeah, a will is the same thing as getting ready for the earthquake. That's a good point. A will is acknowledging that at some time you will die. Death is only postponed, not prevented. So do you talk to a lot of people about about death and end-of-life stuff and, and deal with wills? And, and how would you describe that aspect of your job? That is my job. I talk to people all the time about death and about planning and um, what documents, where your documents are located, and more importantly, who's going to take care of you? Who's going to take care of your affairs? And one of the biggest things that that encourages people to do this is when you die, you leave everything behind. Who do you leave it all to? There are clearly two kinds of people. The kind who look death straight in the face, like Andrea's mother. I think you have to also be at a stage where either you've lost a parent, you've lost a very close relative, that always wakes you up to the fact that maybe I should plan. Or you have a child in your case. And if you have a child, you need a will. And everyone else. What usually happens is by the time that they get to my office, I have had some people struggle with me all the way to the end. Or I've done their documents and I've started and they don't come back for five years. I have a number of clients that I have started out. We have their paperwork. They have given me an initial deposit. We've gone over everything. Okay, I'll be back to you. I'll be back to you. And they don't come back for five years. I had a lady that just came back after 10 years. It's really hard to imagine Lev all on his own without Rachel and me around to take care of him. And it's really not a headspace that I want to be in, like, for even one second. But this earthquake, like death, is indisputable. And I just want to know if at the end I'm going to feel good. Yes. You are absolutely going to feel good. I think that you're going to absolutely feel wonderful. When you do your paperwork about your body and about your life, then I think that you are free. You live with a broken heart. For a while, I know I, I mourned the loss of my own mom, who I was extremely close to, who was fine. I spoke with her on the telephone and said, I'll be right over. I've cooked some dinner for you. My mother was perfectly capable of preparing her own food. By the time that I got there, she had a life-ending stroke. And it really, really surprised me. I was in shock, but I felt this hand on my shoulder, and it was the attorney in me tapping me on the shoulder and saying, I got this. I know what to do. 
you go someplace else. And I did. The attorney in me was prepared. I knew what to do. I knew how to get my son over. I knew how to get the ambulance there. And I also had the durable power of attorney for health care. So you have to be strong enough and be prepared enough. And when that earthquake comes, and I'm afraid when it shakes and when it shakes that hard, and when it finally stops, it's time to get moving again. It's time to begin to come back. Where are my documents? Where are my paperwork? Let me fix my house up again. Where's my insurance claim? You always have to be resilient, but you always have to be prepared. After the break, we return to you, our hero. When we last heard from you, you were cleaning up your house two days after the earthquake. The journalists of LAist work for you. I'm LAist correspondent Josie Huang. LA's Chinatown is a neighborhood in flux. I tell the stories of recent Asian-American immigrants and families who've been here for generations. I can never forget where I come from. How they navigate being Asian and American. But her landlord has ordered the tenants, mostly Asian immigrants, to move out so she can renovate the property and how that shapes L.A.'s future. L.A.ist. Independent journalism. Fact-based journalism. L.A.ist has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of some of your favorite L.A. restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at LAS.com slash events. There are fewer aftershocks these days. Layla is back at work. Your job is, well, on hold. The building was damaged in the quake. Money's hard right now, and dealing with your insurance company and FEMA feels like a full-time job. A shitty job. The paperwork never ends. Who has everything on the cloud? Inspectors have been coming by the house pointing out problems. Omar's school was fine. They were using it as a shelter for the first month after the quake, but classes started up again last week. He's shaken. He's had nightmares for weeks. So have you and Layla. Even trucks passing by jolt you awake. Sometimes you stay up, reading about earthquakes. Your neighbor Elle called you a few days ago from Nashville said she's settling in. You told her, they have earthquakes there too. You should come back. It's getting back to normal. I just can't, she said. But it's not exactly normal. It still smells like smoke, even though all the fires are out. The city's still rationing water, and what you do use, you have to boil. There's good news. Almost everyone has power and internet again. And they're collecting trash now. You're still thinking about how nice people were to you after the quake. Your neighbor in the orange apartments who let you shower when you didn't have water. 
the owners of the restaurant that had free barbecue on day three and fed everyone who came by. That carpenter from across the street who helped you fix your broken steps. She was a lifesaver. Last night, the neighborhood had its first car break-in since the quake, which feels oddly normal. Layla's mom keeps texting you both listings for houses in Philly, which feels also oddly normal. But you aren't going to move. You couldn't afford to if you wanted to. And you hope there won't be another big one on the San Andreas, at least not for a while. You get a text. It's Layla. Gotta work late. Can you meet the insurance adjuster at 3? Oh, and pick up Omar at 4? Yeah, you respond. Of course. The first interview we did for the show was out at the San Andreas Fault. Misha and I went out there with USGS geophysicist Morgan Page. So this is a very special place we're going to. If, if there was such a thing as a sacred place for seismologists, this would be it. We kept calling the fault a monster. So we called it in the first episode. Whoa, what the fuck? Wait, that's amazing. But it doesn't look like a monster. And you'll notice this line of trees is forming a line. When you see, see things that are lines, think they might be faults. There's water. There's water, water in water, these hills. Water. Out in the middle of the desert, all of a sudden... There's this line of lush green trees. If you were just driving by, you wouldn't know that this is the fault. Yeah, water that comes up from the fault. Are we actually gonna see like a running stream? Huh, I don't know. We might, it's, what, April, right? Yeah, we might. With water running at their roots, follow the fault and you end up at Lake Palmdale. It's where we met Tyrone Jordan. We saw houses out there and wondered, why would someone live out here, so close to something so destructive? Remember when you found out that it was on the San Andreas? Like, how quickly? We knew it before we moved in. The, the realtor looked it up, and yeah, we knew about it. You know the lake is here because of the fault? No. Well, because the fault has a bend here, it actually pulls apart this basin. So that's uh-huh. why there's this uh, lake. It's known as a, a sag pond. Uh-huh. Um, so this would just, you know, be all flat if there wasn't the fault here. So, yeah, no fault, no lake. <laughs> this, you could thank the San Andreas for all this dramatic landscape that you've got around right. you. Right. Yeah, well, hey. The violent process of creating and destroying Earth is what makes this place so beautiful. Mountains, tree lines, our coast, they all exist because of the ancient collision of plates beneath our feet. What are the odds that we, humans, get to be here at this specific point in time when California just happens to look like this? What are the odds that it all change right in front of us? It is surprising to me, because I'm just learning about this stuff now, it is surprising to me how dynamic California is and how much it is always changing. Um, and how it will continue to change over the next five million years. Like, there's places like the East Coast, which are much more stagnant than California. Is that actually, is that what drew you here at all? Like, the, how dynamic everything is? Well, what drew me here is, you know, the, it's all the, the beauty of California that is because of here, because of plate tectonics. I didn't know it at the time. You know, I just wanted to come out here with our mountains and the ocean and the, the warm weather. And at least those, those first two things are because of the plate boundary here. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, a lot of people, they, maybe they complain that, that they worry about the earthquakes in California, but do they realize that that's why they live here? That's why it's so beautiful. Double-edged sword. Yeah. Are you sure you're okay? <laughs> yeah, I'm great. <laughs> I am great. Okay, so 10 months ago, we started working on this. How are you feeling about this earthquake, this big one? I'm feeling a lot better than I was at the beginning. Yeah, I think um, I'm a lot more indifferent than I was at the beginning. I think having worked on it for 10 months, I couldn't be in that state of excitement or fear um, every single day, you know, and, and there was so much like creatively that we had to process and work through that the earthquake itself took a backseat. I feel really good about this earthquake. Like not like, yeah, I can't wait for it to happen. But <laughs> with the amount of knowledge that we've amassed working on this, I feel like I might be able to help people. And I feel really good about that. Like I have accepted that my kitchen is going to be a mess and that things are going to fall off the wall and it's going to be scary and that water will probably be on fire. But I know how to, you know, sanitize water with bleach. I know how to connect people to the resources they need. I know the names of the people who are working on like neighborhood groups about this where I live. And I feel, I don't know, I felt really beat up over this for a long time while we were working on it. And now I feel pretty, I feel retrofitted. I guess I'm curious. So we're like all at different levels of preparation. So can we talk a little bit about like how much we've prepared? Where are you at, Mish? I haven't prepared at all. I'm in the process of looking for a new place with, with my partner and I'm temporarily at my parents' house. And so it just feels like the perfect excuse to not do anything. And it feels like, I have this like magical moment when I'll be able to. And I think there's always a new place or there's always a reason to like wait or delay it. Was fear ever an obstacle? Were you ever too afraid to want to face the reality of it? Deep, deep down, I think it had to do a little bit with fear. I think it had to do with this idea that even if I do this, I won't, it won't be enough to help my family and won't be enough to help the people that I love. Were you stressed out at all? Like buying all that different stuff for family members and things like that? Yeah, and I felt like it was this thing where as soon as I started buying stuff, I was like, well, I can't buy the thing where you cut yourself out of a car and not buy a whistle. Well, I can't buy <laughs> a whistle and not buy a packet of water. Well, I can't buy water and not put a granola bar in there. And I better put a note saying when the granola bar goes bad. And so you do that with so many things and it really starts to add really starts to add up what was your favorite thing that you learned while reporting on this jacob i think my uh, 
I think my favorite thing, just looking back, my favorite moments were those moments of discovery about what the earthquake could be and what it could do. Or my favorite thing was that... (laughs) Was the increase in drinking that happens at some point? Oh yeah, that's day kind 11. of a, yeah, that's kind of an interesting fact. The increase in drinking makes sense. Although when I tell people that, they're like, "I'd start drinking an hour after the thing hit," and I'm like, "Really? <laughs> like in the middle of a natural so disaster? Many people you want to get said drunk? Like, yeah, screw it. I'm just gonna get drunk." And I'm like, "Really? That's your approach?" My parents did like 12 hours after Northridge sit down and have whiskeys with our neighbors. So, I mean, to be like fair, Rachel was holding wine in your like fake earthquake scenario. So. <laughs> that's the only way I could get her to do it on Christmas Eve, and we're Jewish. <laughs> If you could have one thing fixed right now, what would it be? I think because of the limitations associated with the cost of getting ready, which I don't think it's cheap, I would wave that magic wand and make sure that every single person had some sort of earthquake kit, minimum amount of water, something for their car, and some sort of plan. Like I would go ding and I would do it on the very individual level because I think that if individuals are prepared, then it's less stress on the broader system. What about you? What's your magic wand, Darwin? Um, I want everyone to understand that this is an inevitable reality. I want people to have the leg up of understanding that this is going to happen. The journalists of LAist work for you. I'm LAist senior health reporter Jackie Fortier. That's where you see the necessity of having to educate our community. I explore how your health is directly affected by rising temperatures, wildfire smoke, dense traffic, oil drilling, airport noise, and overcrowding, and find possible solutions. LAist, independent journalism, fact-based journalism. Start your Saturday with something that will grow your kiddos' brains and get their creative juices flowing. Join us at LAS for a morning of multilingual story times, interactive performances, art making, and lots of kid fun. Bring the whole fam and join us for a super fun Saturday at LAS in Pasadena on June 1st. Tickets at LAS.com slash events. See you there. These are our final credits, so one last time, I want to say thank you. Thank you, Misha Youssef, for your work as lead producer on the show. You are, let me check my notes, a ball of sunshine made of perfection. You are also one of a kind. Thank you. Thank you, Arwen Nix, for making sure we all stayed alive, or mostly alive, while making it. When we first talked about making the show, you had a vision, and I can't believe we pulled it off. Thank you, Mary Knopf, for your fact-checking and producing and your patience with all of us. Thank you, Megan Garvey, for making the time to work with us when you're possibly the busiest person at KPCC. We couldn't have done this without you. Thank you to Valentina Rivera and Sean Corey Campbell and to Bianca Ramirez for dealing with all our scheduling hassles. Thank you to Stephanie Kraft and all of the product team, especially you, VJ. Thanks to Brianna Lee, Melissa Liu, and the one and only Lisa Brenner, Thanks to Eric Baumgartner, Adam Rose, Ann Wine, May Claire Bolton-Smith, Ellen Switkes, Chuck Perkins, and Kelly Benz. Thank you, Kristen Muller and Alex Schaffert, for being such exceptional leaders. 
Thank you to all of our families and friends for letting us be the most depressing people to be around for the last 11 months, especially you, Rachel and Lev. And mostly thank you to every single one of you that have listened. Please share the show with your friends. And please know that you can get ready for this. Share your thoughts, comments, whatever. Tweet at me at Jacob Margolis or email us at thebigone at kpcc.org. Thanks. I'll miss you. Oh, I forgot to do James Kim. And thank you, James Kim, for being the human embodiment of a spark of joy. Hey, Big One listener, you've made it, but we're not going to let you go without a last round of tips. Tip number one, download the Shake Alert LA app right now. Make sure that now it's out, you can get early warning for the earthquake. Tip number two, when your app alert goes off or if you notice shaking, if you're in a car, pull over to a spot that is away from trees, power lines, and buildings, and wait in the car until the shaking stops. Tip number three, for people in a wheelchair, you should lock your wheels and bend over while covering your head. Last tip, talk about the earthquake. Talk to everyone you know. As a farmer's son from a desert region in California, J.B. Hamby thinks a lot about water. I spent a lot of time digging up history, particularly about water, which is the origins of the Imperial Valley. How this 28-year-old became the youngest lead negotiator on the Colorado River ever. And how he could shape the most consequential negotiations to date. Listen to Imperfect Paradise, the Gen Z water dealmaker, wherever you get podcasts.